You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. With Alberta's 18th Premier sworn in today, the thoughts of many British Columbians turned to our gas prices. Jason Kenney's campaign threat to turn off the taps in response to the B.C. government's opposition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, a hot topic today. He won't shut them off just yet, but as Richard Zussman reports, he's not backing down either. Will you accept the position of President of the Executive Council for the province of Alberta? I will, Your Honour. With that, it's official. Jason Kenney now the Premier of Alberta. Throughout the election campaign, Kenney making the same promise. We will be prepared to use the turn off the taps legislation. Now that he's on the job, he's had a change of heart when it comes to the promise of proclaiming that legislation within an hour of being sworn in. We will uh, obviously prom uh, keep our electoral commitment uh, to proclaim Bill 12. Just stay tuned. What's unclear is when Kenny will fulfill that promise. Experts say if Alberta does restrict the flow of oil, BC gas prices could climb even higher. All Alberta's attempt to try and get BC Premier John Horgan to support the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. I've been clear it is not our intention uh, to uh, reduce shipments or turn off the tap at this time. We simply want to demonstrate uh, that uh, our government is serious about defending the vital economic interests of Alberta. The B.C. government bracing for Alberta's next move, and as soon as Kenny moves towards those taps, they're ready to challenge it. If they uh, propose to do that, we'll certainly go to court to establish the principle that they can't discriminate against British Columbia on energy. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson putting forward an idea today. For Kenny, Premier John Horgan and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to sit down and hash out the issue. I've written a letter to Prime Minister Trudeau, to Premier Kenny and to Premier Horgan asking them to work for the betterment of Canadians and especially British Columbians to get us a guaranteed fuel supply at a reasonable price. But that meeting doesn't look to be happening anytime soon. Kenny announcing on Tuesday a trip this week to Ottawa and Toronto. Noticeably absent from the itinerary, any trip to BC. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria. Keith, break down this Bill 12 in Alberta mm -hmm. for us. How would it work once it's proclaimed? Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a very small bill. It's called Preserving Canada, Canada's Economic Prosperity Act. Quite a mouthful there, but everybody calls it Bill 12. It basically gives the Alberta Energy Ministry enormous uh, power over uh, what uh, can be shipped out of Alberta when it comes to fuel and gas. So here's how it breaks down. First of all, the Alberta Energy Minister, the new one, Sonia Savage, she's going to have discretionary power to issue, amend, renew, and revoke any license to export fuel from Alberta as well. Uh, she has the power to halt all fuel exports at any given time, at, again, at her discretion, discretion uh, when it comes to flowing through a pipeline or even potentially through uh, rail cars as well. There's going to be in those licenses the potential for a daily maximum of how much fuel can be uh, exported on any given day. So it could be a trickle going BC's way. And finally, the penalties for violating this act are quite onerous. $10 million is the daily fine for a company that is found in violation of any of the provisions of this act. So uh, you can call it draconian, you can call it severe, 
severe. Uh, there's another question to proclaim it into law, which is what Jason Kennedy is expected to do with his cabinet as early as tomorrow. Quite another to actually enact it into law. And again, the critics here are saying, look, Mr. Kennedy, if you do enact this, you're going to inflict pain as well on the number one industry you're trying to protect, which is the oil and gas industry in Alberta. So we'll see if his, uh, his bark is as good as his bite. All right, we sure will. Thanks, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Now, if the pipeline project does go ahead, it would result in a large expansion of the tank farm on Burnaby Mountain. But critics point out at least six of those tanks were built in the 50s. And that's raising structural concerns and questions about the safety of the neighborhood. Paul Johnson has more. Well, a lot of the fight over the Trans Mountain Pipeline has been about oil tankers and the politics of fossil fuels. This week, we're reminded there's also a neighborhood safety component as well. This is a uh, clear risk. Critics say beyond whatever new facilities come with the planned expansion, they're worried about what's already there. Specifically, six oil storage tanks built in the 1950s that they say are not sufficiently earthquake-proof and may have been built with questionable steel. Former MP and current candidate for the riding Sven Robinson says as the pipeline's new owner, it's now up to Ottawa to show the facility is safe. I'm calling on the Liberal government to urgently recognize that there must be a full independent assessment. There's a lot of things that have changed since those tanks went in in the early 50s. And one of the most important ones is this. The new community that's grown up around SFU on the top of Burnaby Mountain, where there are now tens of thousands of people living here with limited ways off in the event of a disaster. Fires at oil facilities are rare, but they do happen. Here's one near Houston just last month. In January, a storage structure caught fire on property right next to the Burnaby tank farm. Trans Mountain says they've never had a tank fire at the plant and that a combination of firefighting systems and inspections means their facility is safe. But given the age of some of the tanks, critics want those assurances to come from independent engineers. There are 30,000 people on the mountain within two kilometers of here. In Burnaby, Paul Johnson, Global News. New details tonight in a pair of shootings last week that left two men dead, one in New Westminster, one in Surrey. Aaron MacArthur is live now with the latest. And Aaron, investigators with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team announced charges in one incident, and they need the public's help in the other. Yeah, that's right, Chris. A busy weekend for I-HIT investigators Friday night in Surrey and then 24 hours later in New Westminster. And, uh, and police, as you say, looking for help in the Surrey murder. It was Friday afternoon at 5.30. An 18-year-old was gunned down in the Fraser Heights neighborhood. Police aren't giving out any details about his identification, but will say that he does not live in the neighborhood, and they will say this is a gang-related murder. Plenty of witnesses at 176th and Abbey Road at the time of the shooting. Investigators now looking for the getaway car. Now, investigators have identified a red Chrysler 300 sedan believed to be associated to the shooting. Anyone with dashcam video and or cell phone video from the area at the time of the shooting is urged to contact IHIT immediately. Uh, we believe that this was 
a targeted incident and is linked, that we, we believe that is linked to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. Now, the other murder, certainly more cut and dried. Saturday night at 7.30 at Hume Park in New Westminster, a 20-year-old was murdered, Rebel Abera. Again, plenty of witnesses at the time. A 19-year-old man was arrested. He has since been charged. 19-year-old Sam Jafruti, charged with second-degree murder. And while investigators say this was a targeted killing, police don't think at this point it was gang-related. Back to you. All right, Aaron MacArthur reporting. Thank you. A dramatic takedown by Vancouver police officers near East Hastings and Slocan this afternoon. That's how it looked as police arrested a 56-year-old Vancouver resident for mischief and assault with a weapon. VPD say when the man failed to follow police commands, he was taken into custody with help from a VPD canine officer. The suspect was transported to hospital for police dog bites. He'll later be taken to jail. Charges are anticipated. A tough day for employees of Vancouver-based Hootsuite, the tech startup which specializes in social media management, confirming major layoffs today. While it won't confirm an exact number, there are reports more than 100 people were let go. In a written statement, the company indicates the cuts are part of a strategic realignment. High gas prices and generous rebates mean there has never been a better time to buy a zero-emission vehicle. Dealers, in fact, are struggling to keep up with a rush on electric and plug-in hybrid cars. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the incentives knock thousands of dollars off the price. At North Shore Kia, they're rushing to ready dozens of new vehicles, removing decals and completing any last-minute detailing. You have 40 cars on standby. Yes. Have you ever had that many cars on standby for people? No, never. Buyers have been waiting to take delivery on May 1st when a federal incentive kicks in for new zero-emission vehicles with a base price under $45,000. May 1st, $5,000 that you can get on top of the $5,000 that's available from the provincial government. And if you have an older vehicle that qualifies for the BC Scrap It program and you buy an electric vehicle, you can get $16,000. Plug-in hybrid also qualifies? Yes, for $2,500 provincial and $2,500 federal after the first. Around BC, just about every dealer that sells electric cars is experiencing a May 1st buying frenzy. Not surprising considering there's also a provincial incentive and some have qualified qualified for a scrap it rebate. This is I think around 53,000 and I'm getting 10,000 incentive on that. So net it comes down to 43. So big savings. Yes. With all the incentives now being offered, many drivers now finally to make the switch to an electric vehicle. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Right now, though, a former Kamloops Blazer hockey player has been charged in connection with a disturbing incident in Kelowna over the weekend. 30-year-old Giffen Nyron, now accused of snatching a baby and kicking off a chase with police that ended up in the water. Global's Claudia Van Emmerich has more on what we're learning about Nyron and the charges he's now facing. It was a bizarre incident that played out along a very busy downtown Kelowna waterfront Sunday afternoon. 
a naked man in Okanagan Lake trying to elude police after a terrifying experience for one family. Prior to getting naked and jumping into the water, the man allegedly grabbed a toddler boy from his parents. He held the baby by the head. He was holding it by the head and running with the baby. It was crazy. While the motive behind Sunday's incident is not clear, it horrified many of the people who witnessed it. It was crazy. It was terrible. Just horrible. The parents managed to get their son back, and after numerous attempts to negotiate and apprehend him, the man was finally cornered and taken into custody. The man involved has now been criminally charged, 30-year-old Harold Giffen Nyren, a professional hockey player. Nyron is a veteran player with connections here in the interior. He joined the WHL in 2006, playing for several teams, including Moose Jaw, Calgary, and the Kamloops Blazers. He's also played in the American Hockey League and this season played in France. Nyron is charged with assault and willfully resisting or obstructing a police officer. He is reportedly in hospital at this time. It is not known when he'll make a court appearance. Claudia Venemer, Global News. Kelowna. The trial for a Vancouver Island father accused of killing his two young daughters enters week three with a new witness on the stand. Andrew Berry pleading not guilty to the charges against him. Today, an Oak Bay firefighter described the response to the emergency call. Our Minadeo was in court. And again, a warning. The details of this story may be disturbing to some viewers. Oak Bay firefighter Brad Trenholm told the jury it was one of the most traumatic calls he had ever been to. He said the woman from dispatch told us we're heading to a call, traumatic lacerations, male with self-inflicted wounds and two deceased children. On scene, Trenholm said Sergeant Martin immediately directed him to the bathroom where he found the injured patient naked in the tub, several dolls floating in the water, blood on the floor. Barry was still breathing. Trenholm said he tried several times to talk to the man. No response. But then I thought I heard him say, kill me, kill me, just kill me. Trenholm said the comment was made a number of times, but he didn't draw any conclusions. If so, defense wanted to know why the firefighter gave a statement to police saying the man in the tub, Barry, hurt two people. Who told him this? Police? How would dispatch know the wounds were self-inflicted? Trenholm admitted he had no idea who caused the injuries to the girls or Barry. Romina Dea, Global News. As if Massey Tunnel traffic isn't bad enough at the best of times, a truck fire this afternoon slowed things down even more. The fire blocked two southbound lanes just south of the tunnel, leaving only the counterflow lane open. That caused long delays that lingered even after the fire was out and the lanes reopened. At this point, it doesn't appear that anyone was hurt. A number of Coquitlam families are living an unexpected childcare nightmare tonight, scrambling to figure out what to do for their children. After putting down $250 deposits, their chosen daycare suddenly shut down with no notice and no refunds, Tanya Beja reports. 
Emma is heading to kindergarten this fall. Her mother spent the past year looking for after-school care. Kendra Riley finally snagged a spot at Port Coquitlam's Poco Dots daycare and paid the $250 deposit. I was thrilled to have something for the first year. It gave me comfort that I had found a spot for kindergarten. Tri-Cities Moms group page. Three weeks later, Riley shared the facility's name on social media with other families in need of care. And within minutes, two or three other parents had responded to my message and said, oh, that daycare is closed. Uh, their last day was last Thursday. They're, they went under. I was livid. I was absolutely livid. Parent Shannon Derrick also found out about the closure through social media. People were putting in deposits as of lat, like this month even, and they knew, they obviously knew they were shutting down. Nobody from the facility returned our requests for comment, but in an email, a board member told Derek there's no money in the bank account to pay out any deposits. No families have been reimbursed for April fees or deposits. They also said the centre is $50,000 in debt and doesn't have enough staff to continue operating. This is another indication of the childcare chaos that exists in British Columbia and in fact across most of Canada. And the people who are suffering the most are the children of working families. Those families now scrambling to find alternatives and learning all other nearby facilities are full. All the wait lists in our area are about three years wait. Stressed, um, stuck. I basically got four months counting down to find something else. Tanya Beja, Global News. Now, late this afternoon, Global News obtained a letter sent to parents from new directors of the daycare. They claimed the previous directors mismanaged the daycare to the point where staff threatened to quit. They say they inherited a financial situation that was in a shambles, and they are trying to transition the program to another operator. Taxes are on the rise for homeowners in Vancouver after City Council voted in favour of shifting some of the tax load off businesses and on to homeowners. Nadia Stewart has been speaking to people on both sides of the debate. Nadia, what are people saying? Sophie, it's only a 2% shift, and it could mean some much-needed relief for small businesses in Vancouver. But critics say there is a way to keep homeowners from bearing the extra tax burden. So the average person who has a $1 million house, it's going to be $25 more a year. With a Leonard Shine can break down the new tax shift to how much it will cost homeowners per week, 50 cents. The longtime Vancouver homeowner and business owner agrees no one likes to pay more taxes, but says the shift is about fairness. Businesses occupy 7% of the properties in Vancouver, yet we pay 45% of the taxes. With City Council's Monday night decision, it means they'll now pay 43%. The 2% tax shift will be spread out over three years. 1% the first year, then half a percent the following two years. While the Coalition of Vancouver Neighbourhoods hasn't taken a position yet, Larry Benj says he's personally in favour of the move. Some homeowners don't like any additional taxes, period. I, on the other hand, think that some things uh, in life you have to pay for, and it's worth paying for, to help the neighborhood retain the character and the businesses and the flavor that it has. But this was not a unanimous council vote. So always ask yourself, as a paid politician, do we need to do it this way? 
Can we do it a smarter way? The Canadian Taxpayers Federation says the answer lies with the province, who should change the way commercial properties are assessed. Instead of taxing people based on what a building might be, just tax it on what it is. Don't tax it on its potential. Tax it on what it actually physically is. Shine agrees the change would be another effective solution. I've talked to John Horrigan about this change. I'm just hoping they will do it. They've done it for the factories, and now I think they should be doing it for local neighborhood businesses. Shine says more pressure should be put on the province to get them to make the necessary changes, providing a more long-term solution. Back to you, Sophie. Nadia Stewart reporting. Nadia, thank you. The Cash Creek men who started a brush fire west of Kamloops back in 2012 will have to pay a half-million-dollar fine. The B.C. Forest Appeals Commission determined that the fire started when Brian Cecil Park failed to contain a controlled fire on his property. The fire spread to 140 hectares over five weeks before firefighters finally were able to contain it. Park was originally ordered to pay more than $900,000. That was reduced, though. To 500,000 after he appealed. A North Surrey neighborhood will be ground zero tomorrow morning in an annual battle against an invasive species. Linda Aylesworth explains why the aerial assault is a last ditch attempt to control the potentially destructive gypsy moth. So right now the gypsy moth eggs are hatching and they're emerging as larvae which are referred to as caterpillars and those caterpillars are feeding on the leaves of uh, various trees and shrubs. And that is a problem, because gypsy moths are an invasive species, and so our environment doesn't have the ability to keep their numbers in check. Because they have no natural predators, um, the gypsy moth you know, has the potential um, to establish quite rapidly and expand its range. They were introduced from their native home in Europe to Massachusetts in the 1860s by a man hoping to start a silk business. But they escaped. Their voracious caterpillars have been devastating urban forests and agriculture on the east coast of North America ever since. BC, however, has managed to keep them at bay. As we see introductions, we um, you know, determine if a population is becoming established and at that point we will either implement mass trapping or an aerial or ground spray program. Which is why at 5.30 Wednesday morning, residents of the Surrey neighbourhood of Fraser Heights will most likely hear a low-flying plane as it sprays a substance called BTK. And it will settle on the leaves of uh, various trees and shrubs um, within the spray area. And from there, the caterpillars will consume that material, um, the leaves, and ingest the material. And um, the BTK will basically activate within the gut of the caterpillar. It's not that this neighborhood is the only one in BC with evidence of gypsy moths, but its problem has proven more stubborn than most, not responding to measures like ground spraying and traps. This is our third attempt at eradicating this population, um, and we're hoping that the aerial spray will be effective. BTK, which is deemed safe by Health Canada, will be sprayed three times in total, seven to ten days apart, over the 62-hectare area. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still no end in sight to the battle against flooding along the Ottawa River in Ontario. The region is expecting a mix of rain, snow and even ice pellets starting Wednesday morning. The river is currently at a record high level and is expected to rise another 50 centimetres. 
flooding situation appears to be stabilizing in Quebec and the worst might be over. Floodwaters have stopped within inches of pouring over locks and some people who were evacuated have been allowed to return. But more than 10,000 Quebecers are still out of their homes. And in New Brunswick, homeowners along the St. John River are shifting to recovery mode now that the water is receding. It'll take weeks to clean up the debris and get the Trans-Canada Highway reopened between Fredericton and Moncton. The most serious violence yet in Venezuela, where the U.S.-backed opposition leader is trying to overthrow the country's president. Anti-government demonstrators clashed with troops loyal to President Nicolas Maduro after opposition leader Juan Guaido took to the streets with a small contingent of troops in a risky attempt to oust Maduro. The rebellion is the most serious challenge yet to Maduro, who was accused of stealing last year's election. Within the past few minutes, Maduro appeared on television and claimed the insurrection had been defeated, although there is no independent confirmation of that. The end of an era in Japan today. Fireworks, pomp and ceremony marking the end of the reign of Emperor Akihito, who became the first sitting emperor to step down in more than 200 years. Akihito's reign officially ended at midnight, 8 o'clock this morning, our time, when his son, Crown Prince Naruhito, became the new emperor and his era began. Okay, when they were introduced 15 years ago, they were pitched as the perfect car for city driving. But as of next year, they'll no longer be available in North America. Global Sean O'Shea tells us why automaker Daimler is pulling the plug on the smart car. When it was first introduced, gas prices were going through the ceiling. He's talking about the littlest car on the block, the smart car from the people who make Mercedes a car that fascinated Canadians when it showed up here in 2004. I see how people can park them. They just It's just a very practical thing. I love this little car. I, I drove it last week, and I tell you that from beginning to, to end, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. A car for no more than two passengers. But after 15 years, the smart car will be sold no more in Canada or the U.S. Ditching the gasoline engine model two years ago to go electric, Mercedes sold fewer than 400 units here last year. You've got to be up in the 10,000 range in order to hit certain economic benchmarks, and it just didn't break through. Compared to other electrics on the market, the smart car didn't cut it. Give it a try. In Europe, the car will continue to be sold. One knock on the smart car has been its range, only about 100 kilometers on a charge. Obviously, it didn't work out, so just one of those things. This car has proven to be very safe. Loved by many, but just too few. In today's auto industry, companies have no patience for slow sellers, even if the name is smart. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, a new U.S. study has found most children with asthma don't use their inhalers properly. Researchers surveyed 65 pairs of parents and their children, and although most kids thought they were using their inhalers properly, only one actually did. Many parents overestimated their child's abilities as well. Experts say allergists should watch children use their inhalers to make sure that they're using them properly. A little bit cool for a 
swimsuit down at Kitts Beach this morning when I was down there. Let's check in with Christy to see if the uh, beach weather is coming. What do you say? It is. I would say it was today. Maybe well. not in the morning, I get it, but in the afternoon, I think. I put out a Twitter poll today. Here we are, the last day of April. So I was wondering what you thought April was like. Was it wetter or drier than normal? And was it warmer or colder than normal? Well, most of you said warmer and drier uh, than normal. So 39%. 26% though said the exact opposite. It was colder and wetter and uh, far less uh, said near average in this 12% near average but a little wet. In fact the answer is this last one everyone. It was actually a near average April but just a little wet. Here's a look at some of the numbers. So in terms of rainfall 110 just 20 uh, millimeters above average. Snowfall near average. Days with rain near average and same for the temperature. So a pretty average April. And when you think about what's going on around the country right now with the flooding back east and the snow they saw in Alberta, we're pretty lucky. I'd rather have the average right now, and that's what we would hope for in the in the months to come. Uh, just quickly looking at the month, the first part of the month was fairly wet. And one of the reasons why a lot of you chose that warmer and drier than normal is because the last little while has been quite nice. Ever since the April long weekend, it's been fairly dry. And look at it out there right now. 15 degrees at the airport, above average. Uh, the hotspot across Canada today, 21.9 in Nanaimo. Jet stream really strong, driving from the north, but it's protecting the coast. Meanwhile, the inland regions have the potential of snow. Temperatures are going to drop, and we'll see that in through the Columbia region, Okanagan Valley, those areas, probably about 1,000 meters is where we'll see that freezing level, so snow on the mountain passes. But there's your sunshine across the western part of the province, but snow changing to showers in through the eastern sections as the freezing level plummets. South Coast, lots to look forward to. We've got a terrific uh, week in store for us as the jet stream really is somewhat stalled over the next little while and leave you with some shots from the Abbotsford Tulip Festival. Two great ones, thanks to Robert. And before I throw it back, we have a contest for you. Just announced today, Oprah Winfrey is coming to Vancouver and we've got Beat the Box Office tickets to give away. So she'll be speaking at Rogers Arena on June 24th, um, sharing stories and her life's lessons. Tickets go on sale on Friday, but you can log on to globalnews.ca slash bc slash contest for your chance to win two tickets. That would be an amazing show. All right, thanks Mm -hmm. very much, Christy. Well, three years ago, she made history by competing in the Miss Minnesota USA pageant, wearing a hijab and a burkini for the swimsuit portion. Now, having established a successful modeling career, she's making history on an international scale. I was born in Kakuma, which is a refugee camp here in Kenya. That's where I spent the first seven years of my life. I've already seen the extreme on one end, so to see, like, paradise on the other hand, it's just, it's stunning. Kenyan model Halima Aden returning to her native country to become the first Muslim model in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. The 21-year-old posing for all of her photos in a hijab and burkinis. Aden says she hopes Muslim women and young girls are inspired by finally seeing someone who looks like them in the magazine. Always amazing shots. Yeah, She looks beautiful. Sure does. All right. Squires all right, Squire. here. What I do you am. have? Well... Well, I could never quite figure out how to spell his name. <laughs> so, or saying his name say was it. never easy. First, when he first arrived, Solomon Alamimian. But after a while, it just the rolls right out. Alam- 
Don't Done. toss your scripts off I don't the want desk. To toss them out so I ever read them, but you know. Future future Ring of Honor guy, you think? Oh, or what? For sure. Future right? Hall of Famer. Yeah, oh yeah. Ring of Honor guy for sure. Retire his number as well. Put 56 up somewhere. Uh, he is one of the greatest BC Lions ever, and that's not hype. Linebacker Solomon Alamimian will no longer be part of the BC Lions. He was released by the club this afternoon. They did try to trade him before the 9 p.m. deadline where you must cut your roster, your off-season roster, down to 75. But nobody was willing to make a deal despite his brilliant, and as we mentioned a moment ago, Hall of Fame career which began nine years ago with the BC Lions. Probably because the news leaked out last week that they were going to release him anyway. He was a tackling machine for the BC Lions. He won the Outstanding Player Award in the CFL as a linebacker. He only played four games last year because of a wrist injury, even though nobody traded for him. Three teams are interested, apparently. Hamilton, Toronto, and Saskatchewan. He's 32. He's got a lot of miles on him, but somebody will likely take a chance on him. It's sad it ended this way with BC. I don't think Solomon Alamimium is happy. He has been let go. I think he wanted to stay aligned at least for one more year. So the Whitecaps are going to travel to Denver this week to face the worst defensive team in Major League Soccer, the Colorado Rapids. But then again, the Whitecaps aren't exactly the MLS's version of Barcelona. They've only scored seven goals in nine games, and one of those goal scorers, Jordi Reyna, is now injured. To check on Jordi Reyna, who got into a collision on the far side of the park. This is the last thing the Whitecaps need right now. One of their few offensive threats down and likely out for the foreseeable future. Jordi Reyna suffering a suspected hamstring injury during Saturday's 1-1 draw against Philadelphia. Uh, now it doesn't look good. We're talking about uh, probably in this month, that is seven games um, in the month of May, we're not sure he could participate in, in them. So this is a, a, a tough blow for us right now, but we'll know more uh, by the end of the week after the, 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 all the MRI results. And um, um, at this moment, it's not, it's not encouraging. What's also not encouraging for a team struggling to score goals? Two full months into the season, and Reyna's one of just six caps to have registered a goal. Vancouver's second last in the entire MLS, having scored the fewest goals in the West. Now, if there's a silver lining to be found in this dark Whitecaps cloud, their next match is against winless Colorado, who've surrendered the most goals against. What's the key against Colorado? Win. Oh, how? It's defending well and scoring goals. Uh, as simple as we can get on. We can keep concentration for 90 minutes and at a time. Uh, I'm sure we can go in there and get a full-on result. Whoa! Nobody was hurt. John Tortorella's okay, and so is Captain America. Game three, Columbus in Boston, series tied 1-1. Game tied 0-0. Not anymore. Boone Jenner shoots and scores. scores. 1-0 for the Jackets that are blue. And then Matt Duchesne on the power play gets one. That's a big one. That makes it 2-0. Other end, Sergei Bobrovsky. No stick, no problem. Blocker on his back, make a snow angel, do whatever it takes to keep the puck out of the net. He does get beaten, though, just before the end of the second period. At first, they said no goal, and then they checked in the replay and realized the puck was still going. Finally, just gets over the red line. That made it 2-1. Jake DeBrusque 
Things get rough. Bruins are hitting, but they're not winning. They lose this game 2-1. They're now down 2-1 in the series to the surprising Blue Jackets, who, of course, took out Tampa Bay in round number one, which nobody expected. Dallas Stars defenseman Essa Lindell put on quite a performance in Game 3 last night against St. Louis. And I don't mean hockey. He put on a diving show, and I don't mean with water. It was a diving show that's usually associated with soccer players. Check this out. Oh, I'm down. Does he have an inner ear issue? Then he gets up. He goes down again. And then after Bortozzo gets the, uh, gets the penalty, decides to shove him again. And actually Lindell also got a penalty for embellishment. Bortuzzo with the shove. Yeah, I don't think so, buddy. But he was called by some soccer teams who wonder if he wants to play for them. <laughs> the Kentucky Derby is this Saturday. 21 horses are planning to start, which means jockeys have to be at their best weaving in and out of plenty of traffic. There is no super horse this year, like last year with Justify winning the Triple Crown. No clear-cut favorite, but there still has to be a betting favorite, and that betting favorite is Omaha Beach. But he didn't win a race until his fifth lifetime start. But after that first win, Omaha Beach has followed it with two more wins, including this one a couple of weeks ago in the swap at the Arkansas Derby, where he held off another Derby contender named Improbable. The good news for Omaha Beach is he likes to run near the front. He's not a come-from-behind horse, which means less traffic issues in a 21-horse field. And in Champions League today, Ajax, a big away win against Tottenham, 1-0. That's game one of two. The next game will be in Ajax's stadium. If you're looking for some new shoes, tomorrow is probably the day to go shopping. Tomorrow. Army and Navy, 8 a.m. Exactly. Doors open. Stopping at the fishing gear uh, (laughs) section as well. Get some of that after you get shoes. Some of those shoe sales at Army and Navy over the years, that should have been on pay-per-view because that was (laughs) hand-to-hand combat. It's true. Incredible. Anyway, it is the 100th birthday of Army and Navy department stores. Around the same time soldiers were coming home from World War I, this man, Sam Cohen, came up with an idea to sell the equipment the military no longer needed. 1919, he bought Army and Navy surplus merchandise. His first buy was in Kelowna or Kamloops, and it was gas masks and cots and Army boots and all the stuff after the war. And then it evolved, you know, from Army surplus to regular merchandise, but always at that rock-bottom deal. Sam Cohen's business model has stayed intact because his family has always owned it. From Sam's son, Jack, to his daughter, Jackie, who literally grew up in the store. Um, When I was about 13 or 14, I worked in the basement, which used to be the children's department, and I would wait on customers, literally 13 and 14. Which means the company's history is her history, right down to the famous shoe sales. I'm going to say that our shoe sales started in the 50s across the street in the old shoe store. Whose idea was it? Oh, it was Grandpa Sam's. All the, all the good ideas were Grandpa Sam's. Like his idea of buy low, sell low, and never be a renter. First of all, in all honesty, it helps that I'm the landlord. You know, that goes without saying. I'm not in some high-end mall paying expensive retail rates. So that enables me to mark it up a lot less. Which coincides perfectly with their downtown east side store, which they have never abandoned despite the neighborhood's reputation. A lot of the, a lot of the um, perception of the downtown east side is really worse than the reality. 
I love it, and I'm proud of it. And I always say that I have two homes, and one's on the west side and one is on the downtown east side, and I really feel that way. Store and neighborhood have been happily tied together for a century, as has Army and Navy and the Cohen family. It's a family business with a soul and a smile. I read that somewhere. I think my father said that. That's great. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah birthday. it's hard to believe 100 years. But. Yeah. I don't need high heels, but I might go down there for a grilled cheese. Yeah. And some fishing good. gear. Good idea. Pretty good. You can buy almost anything there. You can. And you get lunch. Mm-hmm. All right, final word on the weather, and it's good words. Yes, you can't complain about this forecast, that's for sure. So tomorrow may be a little bit cooler, a touch cooler than what we saw today. We hit 20 degrees today, uh, but 18 maybe away from the water tomorrow. But we'll climb back up to that 20, 21 degrees as we head into the weekend. You'll notice I did put in a 30% under that Thursday. I noticed that. There is a slight possibility of a pop-up shower. We'll be watching that tomorrow. Is that like a pop-up store? <laughs> yes, slightly okay. different. For umbrellas? Thanks for watching, everyone.